This is episode 38 of the Rising Man podcast with Robert Kendall. Yo, DJ, smoke that track. Rise and shine, Rising Man fam. I'm your host, Jetty Azuma, and we are well into the fall season. The leaves out here in California are changing colors, at least as much as they ever do here in California. It's a time of harvest, a time for gratitude, for humility, for what we have, a time to begin slowing down as we prepare for the winter, a time to gather our resources and to prepare for the long nights and the short days. Harvest time. I love harvest time. What a perfect segue into my reminder for you fellas out there that the Elements Wilderness Immersion Training for Men is taking place here in Ojai, California, outside of Los Angeles on October 26th through 28th. Oh man, I can't tell you guys how excited I am for this weekend that's coming up. It's going to be incredible. We are bringing together some of the most powerful nature wilderness experiences that have shaped my life, that have shaped my brother Phil's life. He's going to be helping facilitate this weekend experience with me. We are we're just we're just dying to go up there with you guys, with the men. There's already men who have signed up for the weekend. There's a few spots remaining, and we're so looking forward to this opportunity. So if if you have heard me talk about this training before, you've caught some of the information that's been coming through on the Rising Man Facebook page in the previous episodes. You guys know I've put up the link inside the show notes every single week since we announced it. You know that this is power packed. This is this is like no other experience you guys have seen before. So if you have not heard about this, this is your first time, if this is the first episode you're checking out the Rising Man podcast, then make sure you go over to rise.jediazuma.com slash elements to sign up today. The links will be in the show notes for more information, the application page, etc. Make it happen. Stretch yourself. Find a way to be there with us because it is going to be a powerful and unforgettable weekend for you. Trust me. All right. Let me tell you a little bit about the guest I have today. Robert Kandel has been helping men find themselves for 14 years. An expert in interpersonal communication and relationships, he's helped thousands of students find a more balanced, energized life with better relationships, more sex, and more happiness. Who doesn't want more sex and more happiness, right? His coaching style is challenging, fraternal, and highly rewarding, and definitely not for the faint-hearted. He has been described as part football coach, part loving dad, and part slightly crazed drill sergeant. That's like the trifecta right there. He's the host of the highly successful podcast, Tough Love, and the author of the upcoming book, Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. Let me tell you guys this. I didn't know much about Robert before we dove into this conversation, and I was excited just by his resume and what he wanted to talk about when his team reached out to me. And I'll tell you what, we went some places. We went some interesting places in this dialogue. Robert has a very unique perspective on men and masculine culture in the world right now. In this episode, he gave us a compelling analysis of the state of masculinity and what's happening to men in our current generation, like right now. He went all the way back to the 50s, 60s, and 70s to assess the pivotal moments when masculinity began to dwindle, when things started to change. And he walked us all the way forward into what's happening in current times, by his opinion. We talked about the resurgent masculine and how men are beginning to find our way in the world again and how a massive wake-up call years ago led to his awakening and him discovering his true calling. I'll leave it at that. I'll let Robert do the rest. Without further ado, Robert Kandel. 
All right, here we go. Robert Candell coming to us live from Agora Hills, man. It's great to have you on the Rising Man podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Excellent, man. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. I know that we've got a lot of different avenues and portals we can go into in this topic of masculinity and what, what it is to be a man in the world today. But let's start with a few contextual questions. So first one is for you, what is the difference between a boy and a man? I often think that in terms of age, and I'm not thinking just biological or mental age, but really the whole package. I think a lot of boys look older and still are younger. And there's a development process in terms of maturity, the brain forming, life experiences. That said, you can have a 14-year-old boy with more experiences than most men, and you can have older men with less experiences than a lot of boys. But for me, the, the turning point on a different level is really when you're taking responsibility for your life at least 51% of the time. So boys would be 49 below, men would be 51 and above. I guess that 50% would be some kind of portal. But it's really when you're willing to say, I am a self-responsible, responsible for my life, responsible for what I do in this world. Interesting. So a lot of guys come on here and they talk about a man's ability to take responsibility for mm-hmm. himself, the willingness to take responsibility for his life and circumstances as that threshold. And I've never heard anybody delineate the 51 to 49%. So it's not taking responsibility for everything in our lives all at once, all of a sudden, but it's that journey into that territory of radical responsibility is what I'm hearing. I think it's really difficult to learn to take responsibility, especially in the way I hold it. Like, I am a 48-year-old man, and I strive for 100% responsibility in my life. Even things that people, quote, do to me, unquote, even when life circumstances are really heinous, and I think, God, God, how did this happen? I'm always looking at how did I co-create the situation? But that took a long time. That is not something really that arose to I was like 43, 44, really. To that point, I was like, wow, I can spend a lot of energy blaming someone else or looking externally for the reason, but to have that self-validation, that self-power changed my life. Yeah. That's a great point to bring up is that it's, it is a journey. It is a journey into that realm of responsibility and it, it costs a lot less energy to, like you said, to just take responsibility. It's, it's very simple. Like, okay, I am creating everything in my life experience versus all this stuff happening to us that leaves us powerless. Right. Yeah. And it sucks also, to be honest, because you're just like, I kind of remember the days where I was, you know, oblivious to the self-responsibility and you could take, you could be victimized by the world. You could go on the ride. There's pleasure in being a victim. There's pleasure in being carried by the ocean waves. And there's also a cost, of course. So as I got older, as I started to see who I am and really learned the, the methodologies of my machine, I've, I've learned how to take more and more responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because there is a seductive nature to victimhood. There is mm-hmm. a benefit to victimhood. A lot of us think of victims as th- that's just tough on you, but there, there's a lot of attention that goes along with being a victim and a lot of empathy and compassion for people who are quote unquote victimized by a situation. Completely. Yeah. Well, my heritage and my viewpoint is that, you know, you can look at everything at 0% responsibility is what I call a victim and 100% responsibility is what I call the villain and Mm. all the grays in between victim and villain. And to me, I want to be the villain in my life. And there's a difference why I say hero, not villain. We can go into that if you like. But really, it's, it's every aspect of my life is I am responsible for it. And 
even even the things that don't make any sense sometimes in part point A then make a lot of mis- sense down the road. So the ability to take responsibility has me able to see when you're in victim mentality, when you're saying, why, why, why is this happening to me? You can't see. And if you can't see, you can't learn. If you can't learn, you can't improve. If you can't improve, that's taking you away from mastery. My life is a life of practice. My life is, is here to create mastery in all aspects. And if I'm being victimized, it's hard to see. <laughs> that's, well, that's fascinating. The villain and the victim and wanting to be the villain. Let, let's just open that up for a second because I've never heard anybody make that distinction before. This viewpoint was written by a guy named Vic Barranco in the 60s. And I just heard it in a workshop I took. And I never understood why it was villain. And then I was thinking about it. And then I thought about the concept of games, because I really do look at life as game. I'm a game theorist in finite and infinite games. But inside the game, the villain always starts the game. It's never the hero. So like in every movie, you have the the hero. He's kind of hanging out. He's good at what he does. You know, Batman's driving around Gotham City. He's going in and out burger. You know, it's cruising around. Nothing happens. He's waiting for something to happen. And it takes the Joker to create the game, to start the game by kidnapping or blowing something up. And so the villain is 100% responsible because he or she are the one that starts the action to create the game. Hmm. So where does the, what's the role of the hero in this? Because you know, a lot of people would think of Batman as the hero in that scenario. So are these overlapping archetypes that we're talking about here or just different, just different metaphors? Well, if you look at all the, the hero stories, you look at the monomyth, there's always a sense, and this is just my perspective, if you look at every movie, if you look at every theme, doesn't it kind of feel like the hero is a little annoyed that the game has occurred? It's like, even though they're happy to finally do something, you know, there's like some, there's some great fight to happen. At some point, they're like, oh, the villain is doing that thing again. So at <laughs> some point, they're at the effect. The villain is the cause. The hero is at the effect. So he or she is not 100% responsible. And there's that paradox of like wanting to do something, wanting a fight, and also just wishing that the game didn't occur. So again, they're not 100% responsible. Interesting. Well, that's very fascinating, man. I'm going to have to play around with that myself a little bit. You introduced something very new to me here in this conversation. So thanks for that and for everyone else out there to noodle on. Let me ask you this one. What is the difference between masculine and feminine? Well, there's the classic definition I like to have where the masculine is one that projects, the one that creates, starts, is outward motion, and feminine is, is one who receives the reception. And so that's kind of the basic level when, I, when people say what's the between masculine and feminine, the masculine is one in forward motion and the feminine is one to receive. And there's different mm-hmm. levels on top of that, but that's my basic definition. Mm-hmm. So does that say that, uh, well, do these entities live within all of us? Do we contain both, would you say? Or, and, and maybe expound upon that a little bit. I call it the masculine-feminine ratio. Mm. Every single, in my opinion, every single person has a degree of masculine and feminine irregardless of the body type or the sexual orientation. I've known many men who are very feminine. I've known many women who are very masculine. So each of us has an energy called an energy, a masculine and feminine energy. That ratio shifts over time. So maybe when you were younger, 
uh, a boy that was younger is in touch with his feminine. And then from feedback from the universe, he squashes his feminine and moves more into his masculine. He spends his teenage years and his college years and his first work you know, years deeply in his masculine. And then he has some spiritual awakening where all of a sudden he's like, oh, I had this feminine receptive creative side and then he re-embraces that so your ratio can change over time depending on your life circumstances and your choices and also uh, the master has a good sense of his masculine and feminine side and the ability to shift that ratio depending on the circumstance Hmm. for example when i'm with my wife morgan she's a very feminine woman she's you know usually in her feminine so i tend to be in my masculine around her but there are times where she wants my feminine side to meet her. And so when I'm awake and I'm paying attention, I could be alerted. Oh, she just wants me to receive. She wants me to validate. She doesn't want me to do. She just wants me to hear. And my ability to recognize that, to pump up the feminine side to meet her, to me, that's the skill of masterful relating. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate the way that you broke that down there. There's there's moments where we get to tap into these different qualities. And the, the reason why I asked this question in the beginning is because I think it's important for us to break down the difference between man-woman and masculine-feminine. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the, the two distinctions have been clustered together, and it's created a lot of confusion. Now, you're, uh, you're a man who's, who's a guest on the show here who's a, a generation older than most of the men who come on this show, uh, probably by, you know, decade and a half, maybe two decades for the most part. And so tell us a little bit about what the culture of manliness, masculinity, whatever you would describe it as was, as you were growing up, as you were learning about what it was to be a man. (laughs) That's a great question. I'm appreciating the newness. I've never been asked that question before. So I was born in 1970. I'm, I'm 48 years old right now. I was born in 1970. And there was a significant change in the 70s and 80s in terms of being a man in society. There's actually been an epic change that we can talk about a little down the line since the 1960s, 1950s and 1960s in terms of men and women, and how they're regarded in society. So I grew up on the East Coast in New York in the 1970s, and I was introduced at a time where masculinity was being told by society to tone down. Mm. It was a time to push down the masculinity. And so what happened was, you know, the 1950s was very like mad men, men in his place, you know, women as ornaments, women as secretaries, women as an extension of a man's arm to the 1960s, which was a total etch-a-sketch in terms of society. Then in the 70s, there was the women's right movement, really focused on the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, which went all the way to almost getting ratified. It got it didn't make the the actual change in 1979. It didn't get the required states to become an amendment to the constitution. But the 70s was a very a big time for women to step up and say, no, 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 this patriarchy that's existed for five or 6,000 years isn't working. And then what happened in the 80s was the time of the nice guy. It was the Michael Bolton. It was the John Cusack. It was a time where men stopped palling around with other men and started to spend more time with women. So, you know, John Cusack was my, one of my favorite actors. And there's a scene in Say Anywhere where, say, say Anywhere? I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Say Anything. And he's in the scene with three other, two other women in the room and he's playing guitar and he's only, he's only hanging out with women and girls. And what happened is the masculine and the feminine started to enmesh 
And the heroes of the previous days, the John Wayne archetype, really slipped into almost the Alan Alda archetype. Alan Alda being a progressive feminist who starred in the show MASH. So it was a big icon of the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. The point was is that masculinity sort of lost its edge. It's lost its clarity. It lost its predominance. And then by the time we hit the 90s, when I was in my 20s, uh, what happened there was we started to get into the concept of metrosexual, where it was fluid. There's more fluid, which of course have led into the 21st century with the most fluid uh, generation known, the millennials, in terms of coming into power and being the largest uh, generation of, of population right now, is one with more fluidity. So you can see the masculine has really lost its way. Hmm. Uh, and changed its way and lost its way in the last 30 years. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that synopsis of the past uh, of the past five, well, half a century, really, maybe even farther than that, a little mm-hmm. farther than that. Let's let's unpack it a little bit. So let's let's talk about right now. What would you say is the state of manhood and masculinity right now, today, in 2018? I think it's a total and utter mess, and mm-hmm. it's going to get Tell worse. Tell me about that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's, let's dig in there. You got a lot to say. Let's do it. I do. This is a lot of what my book uh, is about. This is a lot about the thesis of my book that we can talk about. But what happened, and I'll, I'll go back to a point I alluded to previously. So the patriarchy has been around since 4000 BCE, 3500 BCE, depends on which historian you're paying attention to. So here we are in 2018. We're close to 6,000 years of the patriarchy in existence. The patriarchy came about mostly because society moved to agriculture and land rights and and it it switched from an egalitarian society in the hunter-gatherer time into once agriculture came in, the patriarchy was induced. So there's been a 6,000 year history, which is a drop in time in terms of humanity and drop in the time, of course, the earth has been around. But, you know, for for our consciousness, that's a pretty long time. What happened in the 1960s and 70s is society started to say it's time to create a pathway for girls and women, girls I define as under 18, women above 18 in this conversation, to find their equality with boys and men. And in the West, there started to be significant attention on creating and modifying the school system, the economic system, to find the equality between boys and girls which I think, for the record, was awesome, important, and amazing. So I am a total yes to this. But what's happened is that there were no complementary programs for boys and men. So women were learning in things like STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, to equate themselves with boys, but boys weren't learning the, the opposite side, the parts they were missing, communication, empathy, emotional intelligence, things that in the modern era of 2018 were actually in higher regard than the brute force of previous generations. Mm. And I'll leave you with some stats to to prove this. Uh, I have three or four that I'd love to quote. The first is that the pay grade, which was uh, 60 cents for a woman's dollar to a man's dollar in 1980, is now 93 cents for a millennial woman entering the workforce. That was recorded in 2012. Mm -hmm. 61% of college graduates in the 1960s were men. Now in 2018, it's 61% for women. It's flipped. Mm. Six million jobs have been lost in the manufacturing industry. 
since 2000, which were mostly held by men. So what's happened is we've raised the ability for women to thrive in society, which is awesome, but we haven't done anything for men. And now in 2018, there's a lot of disillusioned men. There's a lot of lost men. There's a lot of men who don't know who to be. And worse, because we're the privileged class, do not have the right to talk about it, chat about it, complain about it, or get support. So our egos and are stuck in, I can do it. Meanwhile, we're heading in the wrong direction. Mm. And one more stat to throw on top of that that I think is relevant is that to the most recent stat I saw is that nine out of 10 suicides are men. Yes. So I, th- I think it all goes hand in hand with where we're seeing men not knowing where to go, feeling lost, confused, not sure what their identity or their role is anymore. And it's it's a challenging viewpoint to take, especially like you like we mentioned before we started recording, in the face of the Me Too movement, in mm-hmm. the face of the feminist movement. And I think it's important to be in a conversation where they're not in resistance to one another, but how these how men and women get to be supported equally for what we need. So let's let's start to navigate down that road. You know, speaking about what men actually need right now. Well uh, the Me Too movement shook up that trend, which I was talking about in October 2017 is when the Harvey Weinstein effect started, and it's continuing to you know, push and change society, which again, I think is awesome. I'm 100% supportive of it. So in my opinion, what men need is the ability to know that the feelings they have inside are right. They're not alone. They're not wrong. As a man, it's time for you to truly, truly start to increase what's called your, your, your EQ, your emotional intelligence. There's IQ and there's EQ. And there's some great books out there. Daniel Goldman's Emotional Intelligence is one of the, the you know, foundational books. But there's many books out there about the concept of emotional intelligence. Because in today's society, you know, brute force, like I said, can't do it alone. And so your ability to see and hear and communicate and empathize and, and mold yourself and, and learn to, to be able to actually hear a woman, to not hear a woman's desire for more as a communication that you're doing something wrong, which most men hit. We're, we're so afraid to lose the validation. We're so afraid to get abandoned. We're so afraid of a woman not having sex with us that we don't listen, we stay in our egos. And so men have to learn the power first to self-validate, two, connect to their emotions, and three, be malleable to step up to meet the changes that are occurring in today's society. Hmm. The, the, one of those, the first one you mentioned there, self-validation. Uh, I, I can really tell you've ev- evaluated and assessed this problem pretty deeply. So what would you say is the remedy? Because there are many men out there who are looking for validation externally mm-hmm. and how can we how can we auto validate well, we're external validating junkies <laughs> you know it's <laughs> it's like uh, games and porn and cocaine and and you know i'm hitting my vein we're you know self-validating junkies we we've been born and raised to believe that our validation is comprised of our circumstances are we married is she a hot wife are we having sex do i have the power role? Do I have money? Do I have the car? We're looking externally for validation. And the challenge is that the external validation comes and goes with the tides. Whereas you could be in the money today, you can lose it all tomorrow with one bad stock. Mm. So I train men to learn 
the power and the importance of internal or self-validation, also known as self-love. And my, my credo is um, self-esteem is built upon esteemable acts. Mm. So you do acts that build your self-esteem. You have, that's very customized to you. So examples are, uh, I'm a man of integrity with my word. I'm a man of integrity around my customers and how I treat them. I don't take shortcuts and I don't cheat. I don't steal money. I would rather lose the gig than do it without integrity. I going to the gym, you know, working with a trainer, working out three or four times a week really is good for my self-esteem. Telling the truth to my wife rather than withholding it. Every time I do that, my self-esteem increases. So finding Mm. the specific winnable practices in your life to build self-esteem so you know you're a badass, you know you're awesome, you can say to the world, I am freaking awesome. And then mm. when external validation comes, it's the, it's the ice cream on top of the hot apple pie. You know, it's the, it's the a la mode to your fine, exquisite apple crumble. Like, that's how I train men to be. So they're not dependent on what their wife says. They're not dependent on how their boss reviews them. It's all internal, and that gives you so much more room to live and be big in today's chaotic world. Yeah, and, and I think of external validation as a very fast-burning fuel. Mm. It's very easy to burn through those external validations. As if, a, if a woman tells you that you're so handsome, right. that feels great, and it burns really hot, but then it goes, and you're looking for somebody else to validate you and tell you that you're handsome. But that internal validation, that self-love, is like that slow-burning fuel. It's like that big oak Yule log that you throw on the fire that lasts you till the morning time. For those of you guys out there, for a, a distinction for how you can think about these two. Exactly. And so much of our yeah. communication is built to steal external validation. We are constantly mm-hmm. pulling, manipulating, demanding from our partners the, the validation because we don't have our own reserves. Just like you said, we burn through that fuel so quick that we're like a hungry ghost. We're always like looking and looking and having and having and not not digesting and not being in the richness of our own system. So I think that slow and fast burning fuel is exactly it. Yeah. So when I asked you about the state of men and masculinity and the culture of masculinity in the world, you said it's an absolute mess. Yep. So tell me a little bit more about where, where exactly is the mess and, and what what are we what do you see other men out there? Because clearly yourself, myself, other men are making a stand for the culture of masculinity. How are men responding to this mess that we're in? The most important thing I want to say is that you have to look at this like a bell curve. I don't know if you remember that from school, but bell curves have mm-hmm. on different ends of the spectrum, you have lower percentages. And as you move towards the center, you have a higher percentage. That's what a bell curve is. And so the, when I say it's a mess, I'm really talking about the middle of the bell curve, the, you know, also known as a stereotype is probably to describe it. On each end of the spectrum, there are guys who are totally given up who are living in their parents' houses and playing video games. There's a group of guys called incels, I-N-C-E-L-S, I think it's the way it's spelled, is where guys are just mm-hmm. given up on all sexuality, all relating to women, just living that way, not from a desire or some religious choice, but just from the fact of giving up. And there's men like you and me and many, many other great men and great teachers who are just like, no way, man, I am taking a stand. <laughs> this is my life's purpose. I'm here to wake you up, brothers. But in the center of the bell curve, uh, there's a lot of disillusionment for men. The world has changed, and I don't think a lot of them are educated about the changes that are happening, and they think they're alone. 
there's a there's a giving up it's like women have stepped up and risen in power and instead of men saying okay the game has gotten bigger the bar is raised i'm gonna play i'm gonna climb that mountain we're looking at they're looking at the mountain they're just going like "Ah, the mountain's really tall i can just go (laughs) watch porn and watch netflix and do call to duty we've all we've all been there yeah so (laughs) to me it's 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 mandatory for men to uh, evolve is to say to the mountain, be like, all right, got my shoes, got my pack, got my water, I'm in, and just start climbing. And if you got if you fall down the mountain, it's still better than sitting at the base, looking up, wishing. So, I think there's a there's a sadness, a fear that permeates men. A lot of women I talk to or say, where are the good men? Well, there are plenty of good men, but they're they're not showing up. And when they do show up, mm. they show up with a chip on their shoulder based on their experience of who a man should be based on the past. Mm. They've watched the movies. They've watched the porn. They've watched their, their fathers and grandfathers with the chips on the shoulders. But that doesn't exist anymore. It's time to stop resting on our laurels, you know, put our beginner's mind on, put our tracksuit on, put our trainers on, and get, you know, get to the mat and really just start the hard workout to learn how to act and how to be in this 21st century. And if not, we're going to stay a mess and we'll stay, you know, in a generation of mess. That's one side. The second side is men need to learn to hold presence for women's anger and their evolution. Mm. You know, women have been, you know, at the effect, they've also co-created, but they've been at the effect of the patriarchy, like I said, for 6,000 years. And now we're one year, not even one year in to the Me Too movement, which was, was permission for women to speak what's on the inside. And a lot of guys are like, I didn't do this, or this isn't me, and why should I hear the women bickering, and why should I hear the women complaining? Well, my view is it's your opportunity to be that man, to be in such presence, to have such internal self-validation, intestinal fortitude, to hold that, that anger that she lets it out, she off-gasses it, so she, you can be the guy where she feels safe enough to be all of her. That, mm. to me, is the richness of a mastery in terms of a man. Hmm. And if you guys are looking for a secret out there of what women are looking for, they're looking for a man that can sit and stand in that part of the feminine, that can stand in the woman who needs to express herself just to get it out yep. and without taking it personally. Yep. And I think that that's the challenge a lot of us men have. I know I'll say I've been there before where I'm standing with my partner and she's unloading on me about something that mo- you might not even have anything to do with mm-hmm. me. And there's a co- an internal conflict, a turmoil between do I take this personally and make it about me not being loved and, re- and, and accepted by her right now? Mm. Or is this just that thing she goes through where 20 minutes from now we're going to be laughing and wrestling on the floor? Right. And that's that's a difficult thing to take on as a man because so much of it we, we put on our how we're received, how we're accepted. Do we belong in in one relationship context to another. Right, and to extrapolate off that, there's two sides of it. One is, you know, my wife, I know when my wife's mad at me or bickering at me or complaining to me, this is a combination of something I've done and her ex-husband and her father who left her and every guy that's mistreated her for her 34 years. So it is, you know, I am paying the bill of many men before me. I can either say that's not fair don't take your old stuff out on me or I can say, please take it out on me so we can get out of you so we can go to the next level of relating. Like that's the greatest gift, the gift of presence. Hmm. 
The second side is when my wife says something, it's about me or some other guy, and I get triggered, that means there's something unclean, something in my shadow, something that wants to be discovered inside of me. So when my wife triggers me, though it's very hard to remember in the moment, I look at that as a gift hmm. for me to find something else to tease out. And so when my, my wife, Morgan, and I, we have really exquisite communication. But when we do get in what we call heated discussions that can go on hmm. for days, I'm always grateful because a new part of me arises or I see this other thing I've never seen. And I want to treat her like a queen. I want her to feel so special. I want her to feel like... The, the most beautiful woman in the world. And so there are parts of me that stop that that I'm not even clear about. So these places I get triggered are total gifts. I take it on as a total gift because it allows me to see the parts that needs to be seen. <laughs> I love how you brought that in too, man, because so much of being the man we want to be is reframing and recreating the reality that we see in front of us totally. and that our thoughts are powerful and our energy and our emotion and our context that we walk into the room with is powerful. It's not all about the tools and the strategies and the hacks. Sometimes it's just shifting the way you look at the things that are already here because mm -hmm. there's a million different ways to assess our experience. Completely, completely. Yeah. So cool, man. Is this a good leverage point to start talking about your book? Yeah. I believe it's called Unhidden. Yeah, let's let's hear a little bit more about that because I know I, clearly you have done a lot of research and assessment of this situation. So I'd love to hear a little more about your musings and what you've come to. I've been doing this work for a long time. You know, the way I describe it, I was numb and dumb when I started this work, <laughs> you know, 1999, 29 years old, you know, had a really intense moment that woke me up. And so I've been doing this work, you know, 18, 19 years and the evolution of who I am. And so the first thing I want to say is like, I'm no better than anyone. I, I, I'm still learning. I'm still a student of life. I've just put, I've dedicated my attention to this for 19 years. Whereas some people are really interested in playing piano or their art or baseball or bowling or whatever. My passion has always been to understand the human dynamic. And this book is the let, let me ask you this first yeah. before you go into it. What, what was that intense moment that woke you up? Oh, if you don't mind me. I don't mind at all. Okay, so I'll, I'll set the scene. So it's March of 1999. I'm 29 years old. I'm living in San Francisco. And my wife calls me up. I'm in corporate America, downtown, suit and tie, 34th floor. And she said, uh, hey, do you want to take a class on sex? And I was like, you know, we didn't have a very rich sex life. It was, you know, it was kind of hot and heavy in the beginning. And now that we were married, things had really drifted to nothing, which a lot of guys can, mm -hmm. you know, understand. And so when you're not having sex and your wife says you want to take a class on sex, the answer is yes. I'm sure I came out like, yes, you know, <laughs> but I was like, yes, of course I want to go. And so a couple of weeks later, I end up in this house in Marin County, north of San Francisco. It's a hippie house. And, uh, you know, there's mandalas, there's naked children, there's shoes at the door and go down into the basement. And I'm in the circle with about 20 other people, uh, the teacher and his teaching assistant, a beautiful woman. And I'm noticing all the attractive women in the class on sex. And my little porn infested mind's like starting to act up like, what's going to happen? Like, what's, you know, what's happening? And then, so a little while in, he starts, says, let's do introductions. So I do my introduction and I speak for two or three minutes and I'm eloquent, I'm intelligent, I'm clear. I expected everyone to clap when it was over for the teacher to say, hey, do you want to come up and teach with me? And instead he said, hey, <laughs> do you know your wife's crying? 
And she was sitting next to me, maybe like a foot away. And I was so in my ego. I was so unaware of my chauvinistic and misogynistic nature. And I was so unaware of the impact on her that I didn't know. And then the teacher did the most awful thing. He said, okay, who's next? And I got to sit Mm. in the burn of that awareness of how little I understood relating and how much of a man of myself I did not know. And so I had two choices in that moment. Option number one was to stand up, you know, throw over my shoulder, go back to the man cave, you know, continue the status quo. The option number two, the one I picked was to say, okay, there's so much more I need to learn. And I threw myself in for that moment, like the, one of the worst moments of my life, like the biggest burn of my life was one of my greatest teachers. And since then, mm-hmm. I've been on this pathway to know every aspect of human relating. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So that was literally half a lifetime ago for you. True. Yeah. And so then now is that the marriage that you're in currently or is this a new marriage? This is a second marriage. The first marriage. Second ended, marriage. Yeah, a few years after that. Okay. Got it. Okay. So, so then, sorry to divert no you away from the book there for a minute, but I think that's helpful oh, cool. for other men. Just to, just to recognize that a guy who's put in a lot of work is also coming from a very human background, you know. For sure. For sure. So the book is a composite of, you know, 18 years of work. Uh, from that point, I took a bunch of workshops and got involved with some organizations. In 2004, I started an organization called One Taste with a woman named Nicole Daydone which turned into an international eight-figure business around sexuality, relating, human nature, communication. We had a practice called orgasmic meditation, also known as OM, um, and did that. So I taught over 400 workshops, a thousand lectures, you know, thousands and thousands of groups, 10,000 students over the time, and crafted, you know, earn, you know, earned my craft in terms of relating. And so this book is the composite of all my work of how to be a man in the 21st century. It's written as a pragmatic guidebook to a guy to go from point A, wherever he is, to point B, wherever he wants to get to in terms of relating, communication, how to handle a modern woman, finding a purpose, dealing things around jealousy, scarcity. So it's a very rich book. It's a dense book on how to move from point A to point B. Mm. Well, let's see. Let's talk a little bit about the the men who tend to come to you, men who want the their, to meet their soulmate, right? To find the ideal relationship, men who want to be having better sex, men who want the the work or the career of their dreams. You know, what what do you find to be the biggest issue that most men are coming to you with nowadays? Like right right now, we, we've already mentioned it. They're looking externally to fix. If mm. only I found the right woman. <laughs> if only I could move to this city. If only, if only, if only. To me, it's all the inside job. It's all about working internally. Like the majority, the center of the book is the internal work, the up level of our internal behaviors, our internal dialogue, our relationship with our critic. So there's one section where in the beginning, I was like, if you're looking for a book, how to meet women, and you're just thinking, where are the women? Read this section twice. (laughs) You know, like work on yourself (laughs) because the most attractive thing to women is presence, presence in all conditions. And what's behind presence is confidence. And what's behind confidence is self-validation. Guys who think that a bankroll and money and power is the most attractive thing to a woman, it's not. I mean, there is a demographic of women who will be attracted to that. And they're attractive. But 
just think about what kind of relationship. That's not going to feed your soul. It's going to feed your ego. So if you want to be in relationship with a woman who truly sees you and truly knows you, do the work to know yourself first, to stand in the power of a modern woman, and then have the deepest relationship possible from that full, powerful place. Mm. Awesome. I like that. Let me, let's, uh, can you give us the title again? I don't think we mentioned it yet. Uh, The title of the book. The title of the book is called Unhidden, A Book for Men and Those Confused by Them. So (laughs) it's splendid chapters. (laughs) And after every chapter, there's a section for those confused by men to give them the tips and tricks of, okay, now I've shown you behind the veil. This is how you can behave. Or, you know, to women, stop your whining and bitching about this particular topic because it's not helping, you know, and you co-created this. So it's, it's really, it's a fun, it's a fun <laughs> book. Uh, it's a mix of discussion and concepts, and then there's exercises. I'm actually building an online portal where men can do the exercises, and if they choose, share. Uh, we're going to send men out on missions, uh, specific things to practice these things out in the world, so it's a real-life situation. Um, so it's, it's a really, it's a book that uh, is concept, but also has practices to bring it into your body and into your life. Excellent, man. Let me ask you this question. Without selling out too much of the book, what is one thing that a man who's reading your book will find in your book that they won't find anywhere else? There aren't many great men's books out there. (laughs) Could I have looked? (laughs) There are certainly great ones out there. I mean, it's very interesting. Well, the the most important thing is that 80 to 85% of all books are read and bought by women. Hmm. So uh, publishers don't want to write books for men. So there's been some out there for sure. Uh, David Data, The Way of the Superior Man, one of the classics. Uh, no More Mr. Nice Guy, 2003, Dr. Robert Glover, amazing. To Be a Man, Backbone. You know, there are, there are great books out there, but there's not many great men's books out there. The difference between my book and their books is, one, it's written in 2018. Mm-hmm. David Data's was written in 1997. It's uh, pragmatic So a lot of those great books out there are heavy on the concepts and not great on the implementation. I wanted to have men to build practice because guys like practice. We like to do stuff with ideas. And so uh, the idea is really to have a way to implement them. And then it's really built on the concept of community to have the language, to sign up for my free Facebook group, which you can do now if you don't buy the book, uh, to have the exercises, and then to have a language about living unhidden, to living true in the world, so people, men can see each other and know there are other brothers out there facing the same thing they're facing. Mm. Right on, man. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to digging into that book myself. I've, I've found the same challenge is that there is not a lot of great literature out there for mm. men. Fortunately, the medium through which we can convey concepts, ideas, and, and philosophy is, has shifted. So I think just a lot of people aren't reading books as much in general, but you're right. There's there's not a lot in terms of you know resources for men for men to read and to really lean into. I think that also has to that's related to the stigma that we're supposed to do it all by ourselves mm-hmm. and we should know how to be a man. Right. Um, that's just a bunch of bullshit. Yep. And there will be an audiobook too. So I know a lot of guys like to listen. I love audiobooks. So there'll be an audiobook mm-hmm. version. That probably be a couple months following, but we'll definitely get out there as soon as possible. Awesome, man. Well, uh, before we start to do our wrap up here. I wanted to ask you a question because mm-hmm. clearly anyone who gets into this line of work, anyone who gets into the people business, personal development, growth, empowerment, whatever you want to call it, 
clearly has a connection to the big picture. Mm -hmm. And by big picture, I mean a global perspective. And so how do you see the work that you, myself, other men are out there doing as impacting the future? What's your perspective, where we're going and how this is going to help? You know, there's always that thing like, why should I recycle? Or why should I save water? Why should I not care about the earth? Well, we're in the situation now because of a micro affecting the macro. And I know there's arguments that like more water goes to agriculture and raising beef than it is to the people. But at the same time, we can all do our part. And so my belief system is that because we're all silent, we're all creating a conspiracy where people are taught that it's okay to hide. And my viewpoint is that you can affect others one by one. It's like lighting the fires. Remember in Lord of the Rings where they lit one signal fire and then it went across the mountains. I love that scene. I don't know why exactly, but I love, I think that's what we can do is we can light the fires one by one. And so if I give you permission, I'll give you a specific example. So I'm working out with my trainer and at 24 hour fitness, guys in his 28, 29 years old, great guy, kicks my butt every time I go to him. And then I say, hey, you want to be an advanced reader for my book? And he's like, sure. And so he reads my book and the next day he comes back and he starts to talk to me about his relationship. And I was like, wow, like he has a lot of questions about his relationship. And me handing him the mm -hmm. book gave him permission to share with me his dark side, his challenges, mm -hmm. his questions. And we can do that for each other because most of us are walking around behind, you know, optimized social media profiles, you know, filtered Instagram accounts, uh, you know, showing this bright that everything is great because we think that's going to get the girl instead of our humanity and our vulnerability. So let's light mm -hmm. little signal fires for each of us to say, hey brother, I'm in trouble, can you talk? You know, can you be available? And I think that's the greatest gift we can give to each other. Mm. Right on, man, I'm fully on board with that mission. I think that what we're doing right now is, is shifting a culture. We're redefining the culture of masculinity. We're re-examining what it means to support one another and get out of this competitive mindset. Mm -hmm. We can still be competitive in the right context, but that we all get to grow and advance our lives together, not for just us, not so that we could feel good, but so that my kids yep. who are growing up right now have a better future yep. because it's not, that's really all, that's really all that matters to me at the end of the day is that our kids, our grandkids, our great, 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 great grandkids have something that we can be proud of that we started initiated right now. There's no better time than right now when everything is a glorified mess, like you said, to really start hacking away at it. Amen. Amen, brother. <laughs> awesome, man. So let's, let's tie a bow on this one. I like to ask a few uh, lightning questions sure. before we hear the socials from you. First one is what is the one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? Women are as powerful, as smart, as capable as men period. <laughs> I would wager more so when it comes to the smarts yeah. <laughs> in certain I didn't scenarios. I know that 18. I wasn't taught that. You know, I was not taught that. So yeah. Sure. Right on. Uh, and what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Integrity. Integrity mm. with self, first and foremost. Don't cheat yourself. Mm. Don't cheat your friends. Don't cheat your lovers. Have integrity. And integrity is whatever it means to you. But to me, it just means honest, direct, clear, vulnerable, real. Mm, I share that one with you, man. If that, if you asked me that question, integrity would come up for me. And I keep it simple. I, I've gotten this from one of the men in my men's teams. He says that uh, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one's looking. Beautiful. I, I love that. That's a great distinction. Great. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, cool. So last but not least, how can people follow you? Tell us about the book, about everything that you've got going on so we can support you and learn from you. Everything can be found at my hub, which is robertcandell.com, K-A-N-D-E-L-L, robertcandell.com. You can buy the book. My podcast is there. There's free videos. There's ways to contact me. There's my writing, uh, access to my social media platforms. I have a free Facebook group called Unhidden. You're welcome to come join. If any questions, please feel free to reach out. Myself or my team will talk to you, but robertcandell.com is the hub for all access. Yes, and I just began to scratch the surface of the stuff that you're putting out, man. You are a machine, and you've got a lot of brilliant insights into the state of masculinity and manhood right now. So everybody who's listening right now, make sure you go out, follow this man, because he's definitely moving and shaking the whole culture. So. Thank you for taking the time to be on here, Robert. It was great to chat with you and get to learn a little more about your perspective and your angle on this situation we're in. And I look forward to following your journey and connecting with you again in the future. Thank you so much, brother. Pleasure. I really enjoyed this interview. I hope that you guys did as well because Robert is a very intelligent man. He's a well-researched individual. Obviously, he knows his stuff. And I really appreciated how willing he was to go to some of these unfamiliar territories and to be edgy, because I think that's something that's missing in this dialogue around masculinity is the willingness to be edgy, to say the things that go against the grain, that flare up the egos out there. I think that he has such a unique background, you know, between the, the trainings with sex and intimacy and, and learning how to bring that into the sphere of men's coaching and men's empowerment. So I hope you had some massive takeaways from this episode. Make sure you check out Robert and all of his work at the links that we provided in the show notes and what he mentioned at the tail end of this episode. And listen up, you guys. You heard me mention it on the top of the episode. If what we're talking about here on the Rising Man podcast resonates with you, I strongly encourage you to sign up for the Elements training that we're going to be hosting here in Ojai, California, just a couple hours outside of Los Angeles, October 26th through 28th. If you're looking to create the life that you've always wanted, if you're looking to break through the barriers that you just haven't been able to crack by yourself and find out what you're truly made of, claim your spot today. Sign up. More information can be found at riseyazumacom slash elements. While you're at it, make sure you join the Rising Man Facebook community, facebook.com slash group slash the rising man. All the information, all the updates for opportunities, events, Rising Man Fire Circles, Elements Training Programs, all of that's going to be pumped in this community, as well as weekly dialogue and conversations about every single topic, every single episode that we're talking about. This is where it's really popping off in there. So make sure you check that out. Go over to therisingmanpodcast.com for the list of links and resources inside the show notes. Subscribe or follow us on the podcast app of your choice. Please, please, please leave a review or comment with your biggest takeaways, insights, and reflections from each episode, either on the app you use to listen to us or at the Rising Man Podcast. Com. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. The Instagram handle has changed to at Rising Man Podcast. Go ahead over there, check it out. Give some love to my man Rowan. He's been the one who's been crushing the new revamped style for the Rising Man Instagram page. So give him some love over there. Shout out to Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics. That's Infinite M E L O D I X for his Instagram. Sean is your audio man. If there's any audio needs you have, whether it's a podcast or some other audio engineering needs you have, check him out. He's been here since the beginning 
of the Rising Man podcast and making these episodes sound so good every single week. Big shout outs to you, Sean. And the rest of my Rising Man power team, I already mentioned Rowan, but Mark, Julian, you guys are crushing it. You guys are making this everything that I envisioned it to be. It's great to have a team. I'll say that. It's great to have a team. And for the rest of us, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.